You are now in the mix with the Atomic Podcast, where we love the news. November has upon us. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Atomic Podcast, coming to you live from Times Square in New York City. Um, I have an episode here, an interview with... Um, um, documentarian, director, writer, producer, Chris Bell. And in this conversation, we basically talk about the war on carbs, which is going on in the world, um, talks about bodybuilding, talks a little bit about Bigger, Stronger, Faster, um, his involvement with the resurrection of Jake the Snake Roberts, um, and his latest um, project, which is coming up next year, called Prescription Thugs. Um, it's a very good interview. Um, it was very kind of quick because he was driving, so I would have loved to have a more longer discussion with him, but it's a really good listen, and I hope you fans like it. And right now, here's the interview with Mr. Chris Bell. Intellectual stimulations by way of mobile devices. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Atomic Podcast, coming to you live from Times Square, New York City, where we blow up the news on a verbal scale. My guest tonight, um, he's a filmmaker, he's a director, he's a producer, he's an actor. You probably remember him best for his documentary called Bigger, Stronger, Faster, and he has um, another documentary called Trophy Kids. Let me give it up for Mr. Chris Bell. Chris, how you doing today? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me, buddy. Oh, thank you for being on the show. I appreciate it, man. Um, you know, I don't want to go back to, you know, back to the Stone Age of, um, where, where, how was you born? Um, where, where did you start it from? Um... Um, if, if you want to do that, that's fine. But um, what what got you? Let me just start it off like this. What got you to LA from New York? What got you there? Oh, man, it's kind of a, like a, a long story, but a, like a really cool inspirational story. Yeah. I was uh, always, you know, I was always interested in entertainment. I don't want to say I was always interested in film because that's not really true. I never really knew what I wanted to do, but I always knew that I wanted to do something. Like something big, like something interesting. I was always someone who followed, like, you know, the big movie stars like Arnold and Sylvester Stallone and, uh, you know, Hulk Hogan and Cricket Wrestling and things like that. I just, you know, I just loved entertainment and, um, yeah, I didn't, I had no idea what I, what I really wanted to do. I wasn't really, like, the leading man type. You know, I wasn't the, uh, six-foot-eight holster. I wasn't, you know, shredded like Arnold, you know, or, are Stallone, you know, any of those guys. So, like, I, you know, basically went to, my father posed a threat to me, basically. He said, either get yourself a job working for, like, the city as, like, a garbage man or something like that, you know, or a mailman, or go to community college. Mm-hmm. And uh, my grades weren't very good coming out of high school. I was really just screwing off and hanging out with my friends and playing football or whatever. So my grades sucked, and you know my dad was like, "You need to get a job or go to go to some sort of you know community college." So I chose community college, and I was trying to choose the easy way out by like taking communications classes because I thought it'd be easy. I thought there'd be like hot chicks in communications, <laughs> and um, what ended up happening was like one of the very first things they asked me to do was like write a commercial, you know, for something for the radio. It's like I wrote a commercial. And I performed it, and I was like, that was amazing, you know? My teacher was like, you know, you're going to really get knack for this. And so every project I did just built and built my confidence. And I think that's important for a lot of people listening. You know, uh, it doesn't matter if it's uh, bodybuilding, filmmaking, it doesn't matter if it's business, you know, or war, or whatever. Confidence is like one of the number one traits that I think people need in their life to be successful, you know? And, uh, and the way that you get confidence is to be good at something. You know, have people uh, reassure you that you're good at something and be in a positive environment. So um, by being in that positive environment, basically, I started making music videos for friends of mine. And long story short, I made a music video uh, that my my friends were like, they, they were rappers from, New York, from upstate New York. And we were like messing around one day on a farm and shot a video, music video for like a rap song on a farm. And sent it in this contest and it just so happened that Francis Ford Coppola was one of the judges and uh, Kathleen Kennedy who produced all Spielberg's movies was another one of the judges and um, the film won, the, the music video won this uh, this film festival that was in Los Angeles and so I was flown to Los Angeles I'd never been there in my life and I talked to some people I was about 19 years old and they said you know you should think about going to USC films it's the best film school in the country. 
I had never even heard of USC Film School. All I knew was like they had a football team. OJ Simpson played football there. Marcus Allen played football there. And it was like a cool you know, place to be in Southern California. That's like all I really uh, knew about it. And then when I started looking into it more, I found out like, yeah, they do have the number one film school in the world, but they also only accept 40 students per semester. But, you know, I just always was thinking big, and I applied anyway. And um, I applied to the school, and I went to visit the school uh, that, you know, that same trip. And uh, once I met, like, I actually met all the USC cheerleaders, like, hanging out. Uh, they were, like, you know, practicing uh, on campus or whatever, and they invited us to a party. So I was here with like, my friends that were in the music video. Went to a party with, like, these girls. I'm like, we, I have to come to school here. They're amazing. And I was, like, 19 years old, just surrounded by, you know, the USC football team, all these pretty girls. It was fun. And um, decided, like, no matter what, that's where I needed to be. So what ended up happening was I uh, was trying to apply to the film school, and um, I got a phone call from them saying, hey, we didn't get all your letters of recommendation. You might not be eligible to get in. So I called this woman who was the woman who was basically in charge of uh, in charge of this film festival. And I said to her, uh, hey, they didn't get my letters of recommendation. Could you please resend it? Well, she said not only letter of recommendation to her, but she also sent a letter of recommendation from Francis Ford Coppola. So that pretty much got me in the film school. You know, like I was at that point, I was like, I was in. You know. Yeah. Well, also at that, at that time, you already knew like this is what you wanted to do. You already knew at that time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I knew for sure that that's what I wanted to do. Like, uh, basically, like film became. You know, I just became like immersed in it. Like, uh, once you go to film school, it's just like you know, one, once you're like around all those people. It's just like anything else, like bodybuilding, powerlifting, powerlifting, anything. Uh, once you're around those people, you just aspire to to do good around your peers. You know? And so uh, by getting into film school is like one of the most important things, I think, in my career, because like a lot of the people I met there, and it was like, like I said, the confidence I built there was amazing. I just didn't want to feel like USC Film School. The very first day I was at USC Film School, uh, a kid showed his short film, and as soon as he showed a film, I said, I was like, man, that was amazing. I don't belong here. And I basically like wanted to go home. I was like, I'm gonna yeah. like I'm gonna I'm gonna stink up the place, you know? <laughs> yeah. And um, you know, it's like once I grabbed the camera and I did my thing, I wasn't technically anywhere near as good as this guy. Mm-hmm. But everybody loved my film more than this guy's film. And I thought it was amazing. And so instead of, you know, saying, Hey, uh, you know, people would make film better and go my own way, I decided to just partner up with that guy. Mm-hmm. You know, why don't, why don't you show me the technical side and I'll show you why people connected with my movie more. And like, we became like best friends and like, that's how you, you, you know, that's how you get better. You find people that are really good at what they do and you, you know, just basically combine forces and go at it, you know? Yeah. Wow, I'm saying it's, it's amazing that you found that as an outlet for you because like even you know, living in the city, like, you know, like, you know, you know, I seen bigger, stronger, faster, and I know you always had a passion for wrestling, but, um, when, like, I guess I'm, I guess I'm backtracking, but when did it click for you? Did it click for you once you left high school? Like, when, when, like... No, you know, like, this, this whole thing was like, it's like a constant journey, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, for anybody who thinks, like, uh, I was some sort of overnight success, or, you know, like, look, man, this is like one of the most brutal professions to be in. You know, trying to be a documentary filmmaker, there's just no love. I mean, there's no money in it. Um, there's, it's a lot of hard work. Um, you know, it takes forever to get things done. But I, I believe it's the most rewarding profession because it's something where you can change people's lives the way that they think. And, um, you know, basically, like, I was working at Gold's Gym. I was bouncing at a bar called Sharky's in Hermosa Beach. That was doing all sorts of crazy stuff. Like, I was working, uh, you know, I know you're a wrestling fan, so I was working for a company called Ultimate Pro Wrestling yeah. in, uh, down in Orange County, and I brought John Cena into that company, and John Cena went on to become probably the most popular star of the WWE, pretty much of all time, probably with the kids, yeah. um, you know, and, uh, and he's still like a really good 
family friends and uh, my brother, you know, Mark and Mad Dog Mike Bell. Mm -hmm. uh, Mark, a.k.a. Smelly, and Mad Dog Mike Bell, they were both wrestling for uh, UPW at the time. And I was working with my friend Rick Bassman. And Rick Bassman was running basically like the uh, developmental territory of WWE in Southern California. I mean, we had like, I think like 31 guys go to WWE from UPW. Kind of amazing, you know, like watching guys like Luther Reigns, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember like Luther, he's a really good friend of mine. Uh, I called Horseshoe. Yeah. That was his nickname from uh, WCW. So, exactly. But anyway, Horseshoe, he was, he was amazing. He was like a dude who had so much talent and potential. And I, uh, he, he came into the promo room when I was working. I actually ended up working for WWE through UPW. I ended up working there as a writer for a brief period of time. And I remember when uh, Luther Reigns came in to do an audition, he did this audition and I said, I took him aside and I said, listen, I want you to do it over and I want you to say it like this. And basically, like, what I, all I was telling him to do was be himself. Yeah. You know? And uh, he was trying too hard. And when he was himself and he told this story about being in prison and getting, you know, getting stabbed and all shit like that, like, he told this story with such conviction and so well that as soon as Vincent Mansell used to hire this guy, right? Yeah. And, and what's funny is the whole story was made up. It was just the way that he said it, the way he said it in his own voice, the way he said it, like, you know, like I said, like, Jake the Snake Roberts is one of the best guys on the mic ever in wrestling because he never raised his voice. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, like, I, I just, I, I love working in, uh, I love working in, like, the, the world of wrestling. That gave me a really good creative outlet. Uh, that also built a lot of confidence because uh, I always loved wrestling as a kid and just to be able to, like, work in that and then, like, you know, get the admiration of what we did with UPW. Uh, you know, I got called from Stephanie McMahon and said, I want you to work for WWE and come right for us. And uh, I was there for, like, almost a year, and it just, like, basically just didn't work out. I mean, it was, it's such a it's a weird business. Um, and I, I don't want to ever bash it or put it down. It's just, uh, I didn't I didn't fit into the uh, writing team, per se, you know. You have a team of people, <laughs> and that team consists of a lot of people who don't work out, don't care about their bodies. <laughs> they, they're not, they're, they're not me, man. They're like, they're not fucking machines, you know. They, they're basically uh, a bunch of dudes that sit around and read the newspaper play on the internet all day. And, you know, I was friends with all the wrestlers because I'd go work out with them. I would go train with them. And, and, from day one, nobody there, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, do you remember who was the writing team at that time? Was it Michael Hayes? And yeah, it was uh, Brian Gewirtz was there. Yeah. Uh, you know, and he's a, a very talented uh, writer. Uh, Ed Kosky, who I think is still there, he was there. Uh, David Logano was there. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the guys, they, they, you know, uh, they're all cool. They, they just didn't click with me. Like, I, you know, you, you just, you know that. You can tell. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just the way that they treat you, like they treat you like you're a second class citizen. But like the, the biggest problem was I was friends with The Rock, I was friends with John Cena, that's why I'm really dude. So I feel like I just got you know the raw end of the deal on that. But uh, who cares? You know, you like move on. Yeah, but 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 to backtrack a little bit, how did you get the call up? You was in UPW, and how did they knew that you was a writer? Like what? How did that, that transpire? Well, I was I was working a lot with uh, we were working a lot with uh, Bruce and Tom Pritchard. Um, so WWE knew about me. Um, but also, I had developed my own relationships that had nothing to do with it. I, I think Bruce Pritchard actually always hated me. Um, <laughs> you know, he was always trying to bang my girlfriend and he's married. You know, like, I had some oh, of <laughs> You know, like, you know, these guys are all scumbags and stuff like that. I'll tell you, like, the behind the scenes, it's like, it's definitely not, it's, it's not, you know, a very nice world. Yeah. Uh, behind, behind the scenes. Yeah. You know, the actual, actual workers and wrestlers and stuff,
calling you and keep bothering me. They do it like in a way where uh, it becomes obnoxious, and there's other people that uh, you know that that just are cool about it. And uh, you know, there's there's a fine line there, and some people don't, some people don't, and I guess like, you gotta like you gotta uh, keep tapping on the door, but not trying to knock it down. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It, that was like. It, it was all is all about in the presentations all about manners and stuff like that, right? You know when someone's trying to be fake and just yeah, like, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, like actually doing this podcast, I was like, you know, I had to like push it back a couple times because I just things came up and you were just really cool about it. You know, you're like, like hey man, no problem. Like we'll get it, we'll get it done when we can. You know, I, I was supposed to do it later tonight, but I have some multiple on later tonight. You're like, I'll squeeze it in, no problem. You know, like that's that's what makes you want to go out of your way to help somebody. You know, that goes with anything in life. I feel like uh, a lot of people, a lot of people need to learn that. You want to get things done. You got to cooperate with people. You got to be good to people, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That, you know, you just aspire to be right there. That's true. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, especially like finding your passions, like, you know, like you, never give up. You know, just keep doing what you're doing and stuff, you know? You know, I, I say this all the time. In life, passion is more important than being smart. You know, mm-hmm. passion is way more important than intelligence. I mean, you know, you have all these parents that are, like, I did a movie, Trophy Kid. Yeah. It's on HBO. You can watch it on HBO Go right now. Uh, Peter Berg was the executive producer of Friday Night Lights. And he's awesome. I respect him a lot. Yeah. You know, and we, you know, we talked about it a lot when we were doing this movie. You have all these parents that are so worried about what, what sports team their kid plays on and what high school their kid goes to. Mm-hmm. And they're not worried really about the fact that kids are passionate about what they're doing. And that's what they should be concerned with. They should be concerned with, does my kid love this as much as I do? You know, do I want what's best for my child or do I just want my child to be the best? Because if the child is passionate and shares that same passion, you know, for the sport or for school or whatever it may be, uh, they're going to be successful, you know? And if they don't want to do it, they're never going to do it. That's the bottom line. You know, you can't, you just can't force anybody to do anything, you know? Yeah. Oh, and then, um, um, basically, yeah, that's true. But, um, how, like, um, and, and um, I didn't see the documentary myself because I don't have HBO. <laughs> but, um, yeah. what you want? Could you give me a little brief synopsis? It's just basically about kids yeah. who are, don't have the passion and. Yeah, absolutely. Trophy Kids is basically, it's like five families. Uh, two of them were the two kids on the same basketball team were sort of different upbringings. Uh, one of them was a soccer player. Uh, one of them was, I don't know, I thought it was one of them was a, uh, a golfer, a young girl who was a golfer. Uh, one of them was a young, uh, high, well, high school kid who played football. And the other one was uh, a mother who had two twins that played tennis. And uh, basically what we did is follow those kids around for, you know, probably two and a half years almost. And just documented their lives in sports, and basically, like, you know, these are these are kids whose uh, lives, their entire lives were revolved around sports, and I thought that was like really interesting and important to like showcase that, um, you know, these kids they were all like they were all pretty decent at school, but like they didn't even care about school. Like all they really cared about was how well they did in sports and how they performed in sports. So trophy kids really just sort of through all that shows. You know, the good and the bad of being obsessed with with your child's uh, athletic ability. You know, which, and, and it basically shows it through a very, uh, to use a nerdy term, synonym verite, which is just like basically flying the wall following people out, yeah. Oh. Um, is Trophy Kids on Netflix or no? Uh, we're hoping to get it to Netflix uh, in the next couple months. What happened is uh, HBO... When they do a deal, like HBO has exclusive rights to it for a certain amount of time. Okay. And then after that, it would go to like Netflix or somewhere else, you know? Okay, because it sounds like a definitely interesting movie to see. Um, what, what got me it's, 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 it's a lot of fun. I mean, there's some great moments, great moments in it. And um, a lot of times, you know, where it's also available, I don't know if you travel at all, but uh, right now they're playing it pretty much on every airplane in the country. So... <laughs> If anybody's traveling, you can check out Trophy Kids on the plane. <laughs> check, on the plane. It, check, it out, check it out online. I mean, uh, in, in your in-flight movie. It may be movie. deeper to actually take a flight somewhere and watch it on the flight than it would be to uh, 10 HBO or something. Oh, all right, all right.
right? And what what really got me introduced to you, and you know, it's it's an excellent documentary. I'm sure you get that all the time, but I'm going to say it to you again. It's an excellent documentary, bigger, stronger, faster. And the hosh posh of people you got for that documentary, like, oh my god, dude! Like it was it's it was crazy. It's amazing. Talk a little bit about the the beginning of bigger, stronger, faster, and how you got that started. Well, you know, as with anything that's going to be good. Uh, you got to let people speak their minds. And my opinion on a bigger, stronger, faster was like, you know, look, um, I don't, I'm not really sure if steroids are good or bad, so I'm just going to let everybody talk about it. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not the expert, so I'm just a guy with a, with a, a camera and a microphone willing to go out and talk to all these people. So the only way to figure out whether something's good or bad or whatever is like to just let people talk, and we'll figure it out as we go along. And I, you know, so I just basically like. I don't know, you know, it's all a matter of doing research, like, really, like, sitting down, like, if you're going to do a, okay, say you're going to do a documentary on professional wrestling, right? Yeah. And you're like, well, I'm going to talk to this guy and this guy and this guy, right? Yeah. And then somebody's like, well, you're not going to talk to Vince McMahon? You're not going to talk, you know, like, why wouldn't you talk to Vince McMahon? Why wouldn't you talk to Bret Hart? Why wouldn't you talk, you know, like... You know, and then some people you can't get to, and some people you can't. You know, so it's like we basically, I basically sat down and wrote like a wish list of everybody I wanted to talk to. That had like Barry Bonds on it, that had you know Mark McGuire on it, had Jose Canseco on it, and you know everybody has their own reason why they will or won't talk to you. You know Jose Canseco, for example, told us like, "Mom, you know, like you know, why would I be in this movie unless you pay me?" You know, kind of, you know. They all this like weird stuff. Barry Bonds, like I can't talk about it. I'm in a you know, lawsuit. You know what I mean? Like there's just all sorts of reasons why people didn't want to talk about it. And um, you know, they it, it was a tough movie to make. I mean, you know, it's easy if you're making a movie about like I don't know, I was just talking about to somebody about you just heard me. And I was in a meeting. I was talking to um some people about you know fitness. Yeah. And um. This movie they're doing is basically about like different forms of fitness. A documentary. Yeah. And we do a documentary on different forms of fitness. There's nothing really controversial about that, so anybody will talk to you. Mm-hmm. You know? But when we're talking about steroids, who wants to talk about that? You know? Yeah. It's like the movie Cocaine Cowboys. I always like admire movies and filmmakers who go out of their way to be able to find subjects that like shouldn't want to talk to you, but they are. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You ever watch an episode of Gangland? Like, how do they get these gangsters talking about shit? You know? Yeah, it's it, it's weird. Yeah, I was gonna say it's weird how people will have a camera in their face and they'll just talk. You know, it's just so weird. Well, you know, it's yeah, it, it, a lot of times people won't think it through. <laughs> I don't. But uh, but also, there's a lot of laws set up to protect people from stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the the problem is if you're still doing it, if you're talking about like. A crime you committed, it's not really a big deal because they can't come back. Unless it's a murder or something, they can't come back and get you for it. But, um, you know, if you're, like, talking about selling drugs or something, like, they can't come arrest you for it, like, ten years later. But, um, if you're still doing it, you gotta watch out because they can just track you down, you know? Yeah, exactly. You know? Um, so get back to, um, Bigger, Stronger, Faster, um... You could, you know, you know if, even from the early childhoods, you know, it's it's kind of cool the documentary because you show your upbringing and you showed how, I guess, you know, be, you know, being the middle child at that time, um, you struggled a lot, you know, and you know, not not it's not that you felt inferior, but you felt like where do you fit in, right? Um, do you feel that way now, especially in hindsight after doing the movie? Do you feel like, are you already, you know, you're in there already? Well, I think we all feel that way sometimes. We feel like. Um you know, you feel like you're not good enough. You feel like, well, what I do? Yeah. Um, you know, I have two brothers that are, you know, like my older brother, you know, almost six feet tall. My younger brother's six, like six feet, six one. Yeah. You know, it's like, how do you, uh, why am I five seven? Yeah. You know, why do I have, why do I have arthritis? Yeah. You know, I was powerless, you know, my whole life. And, um, I got generic arthritis just like my father. I had to get uh, you know, double hip replacement surgery oh, wow. at the age of thirty. At the age of thirty-three, it's one of the youngest, one of the youngest people my doctor ever did it on. So like, it's like, why me? Why me? Why me? You can ask you that yourself that all day. 
Yeah. Or you can just uh, become confident in who you are. Mm-hmm. And forget about that stuff and, and be comfortable in your own skin. I feel that's really important. Like, if you're comfortable in your own skin, you know, uh, you just sort of stop worrying about what other people are doing. And you really only worry about, like, what you're doing. And that, I think that's really important, too, you know? Yeah. So like you know, so then that I'm saying you're just comfortable with your own skin, and you was like you know balls to the wall. I'm gonna do it, you know, and I'm gonna do this. Well, and like you know, right now to tell you the truth, yeah, I am not that comfortable in my own skin because I'm not in the shape that I want to be in, and the only the only reason I'm not in the shape that I want to be in, like that's my own fault. So I've been like working out really hard, really good, you know. Like I just want to get in better shape, you know. Like I feel like we should always be in better shape. There's always more out there, you know, my younger brother is in phenomenal shape, he's like shredded, yeah. and I'm like, well, I need to get like him, yeah, so, yeah. you know, if you're not comfortable with your own skin, work on getting there, and even just working on getting there makes me feel so much better, you know, I still want to drop about, you know, 20 more pounds, I get there, I'll be at like a really good weight for me, and really be in awesome shape, strong, and, and whatever, and like, just the, uh, the journey to get there, knowing that every day you wake up and you're doing the right thing, yeah. feels good. You know, it feels really good. Yeah. To get up and say, you know what, today I'm not going to eat that crop. Today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my workout in. Today, you know, no matter, no matter how hard it hurts, I'm going to do it. You know, yeah. squat or deadlift or bench or whatever you got to do, you know. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question. So even doing um, bigger, stronger, faster, like did that did that motivate you even more? Like, damn, you know, I, you know, I got to get into body shape and seeing all these dudes, you know. But I don't, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how you did it. So you had ground beef and water, and you lost like 30 pounds. Like, but there's more to it. Oh well, yeah, yeah. Like right now, actually, if you go on the internet and you look up the hashtag War, war on Carbs, yeah. me and my brother Smelly, we created this thing called the War on Carbs, okay. and uh, it's part of his new book that he's writing about getting in shape called Jacked and Tan. Yeah. And um, and basically, the War on Carbs is is um, you basically like you just stay away from. Okay, so like everybody talks about going gluten-free, right? Yeah. If you don't eat carbs, then you're never going to get any gluten in your diet to begin with. If you don't eat uh, carbs, you're not going to have any sugar in your diet, which leads to inflammation, which leads to body fat gain. You know, so when you get rid of uh, carbohydrates, you're also, you're, you know, your uh, insulin levels don't shoot through the roof. And so like when your insulin levels are high, that's when you store fat. So basically, you put yourself in what they call a ketogenic state or ketosis, which basically means that your your body is, you know, you're basically burning fat and you're excreting it through your urine and through your sweat and through anything else that you excrete, basically. Um, so body fat basically turns into your energy, your energy source, your, like, stored body fat. Mm. And um, once you can, like, tap into stuff like that, it's pretty powerful. It's, like, it's pretty cool. It's like, you know, you, it's 
takes a couple of days for your body to get into like ketosis. And then you'll have a lot of people that are like, you know, haters that say, hey, that's really dangerous and blah, blah. But they just don't know enough about it in, in reality, you know. This has been around for a long time. Um, there's actually a lot of studies being done now uh, of like really, really low-carb diets actually starving out things like cancer. You know, I can't come on and say as a medical expert <laughs> that a ketogenic diet will cure cancer, but what the studies have been showing is that it's really hard for cancer to grow uh, without the presence of carbohydrates. Mm. So, uh, you know, it, it may be something where, like, if somebody has cancer and they go on a diet like this, it may help help it from spreading. Uh, mm. I'm not, you know, these are studies, like I said, these, but it's interesting that that research is actually being done, which flies in the face of most people saying, you know, I need carbs, so I'm going to die. You know, I need carbs, I'm not going to be able to survive. And, you know, I'll take somebody who's, you know, I, I'm telling you, like, it, it'll change your life, you know, if, if you actually, if, if you're trying to get jacked and trying to, like, look, you know, rip, um, it's, a, it's a great thing to try. And if you know how to off it, you know, you don't have to do it all the time. You go no carbs for a couple of weeks, get real lean and shredded, and, and, you know, then start eating carbs just moderately, you know? Yeah. Is 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 all this? Is the book available now, or your brother's book, or not yet? Or? Um, I think the book will be available in like January. January. But if you follow uh, at Mark Snelly Bell yeah. on uh, Twitter and Instagram, yeah. or you follow at Big Strong Fast, that's my like Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we're just constantly posting stuff on it, like constantly like answering questions. It's not a new diet, you know. It's really not. It's based on. Um, Andrew Shane from back in the 80s, he wrote a book called Body Opus, which is a really hard to follow ketogenic diet for competitive bodybuilders. Yeah. Very, very difficult to follow because, like, he's got very stringent, you know, rules to it. So what Mark did is took that and, like, basically realized, hey, this works if you loosen up the rule, yeah. but you've got to be a little bit more militant for competition. But 90% of the people, 99% of the people, that, like, read his book aren't going to be competing. So it's like, hey, let's just loosen the reins a little bit. Let's not worry so much about, like, if somebody ate a little mayonnaise. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> not that big of a deal. You know, like, so if you want to have, like, you know, tuna fish and it needs fat in it, use some mayo. Okay, but, well, mayo is bad for you. Like, the carbohydrates are bad for you. Let's get that straight. It's not the fats that are bad for you. Now, we can, can we pick better fats? Yeah, of course we can. But that's why we get into making, uh, you know, we make we get into making like shakes. You know, uh, there's a video on YouTube right now where uh, Smelly makes a shake. It's got like 300 grams of fat in it. <laughs> it's kind of, people are like, "Are you guys out of your mind?" And I'm like, "No." Well, he doesn't drink that all at once. He basically makes this gigantic shake, and uh, he, he actually has 120 grams of fat. He has 300 grams of protein, and maybe like 30 or 40 grams of carbs. And the reason why he makes that shake is because He's got fat kid tendencies. You know, like, we grew up in a family where it was okay to have sweets and fruity pebbles and all this shit. And, like, you know, we, we were used to that. And, like, it's not, you know, yeah. it wasn't healthy. But my mom loved us, and she wanted us to have whatever we wanted. And that, that, as kids, that's what you want, because you don't know any better, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, what Mark does is he'll make up a gigantic shake. He puts the, uh, the shake in his refrigerator. And he sits on it throughout, you know, that maybe last for two or three days. But he'll sit through it throughout, like, two or three days to not cheat on the diet, you know. So, to make something that tastes really good, like, you need a shake. It's like, it's almond butter, it's coconut oil, it's uh, coconut peanut spread, it's got, you know, uh, hydrolyzed whey protein in it, you know, chocolate protein. It's got, um, you know, just uh, flax milk. Wow. <laughs> things with like, you know, that, and it, and it actually tastes like, and then he, he throws some eggs in it just to like mix it up a little bit, so I'm like, and you know what, it tastes amazing. Wow. Sounds like, I definitely would like to try something like that, it sounds good. <laughs> yeah, are you into like bodybuilding, do you train a um, lot? No, not, not at all, um, I'm, I'm trying to lose some weight, like, you know, do you have any like tips for that, for like losing weight and stuff? Like, yeah, how much do you weigh right now? Well, I weigh 210. I want to lose, like, at least 50 pounds or 60 pounds. 50? Yeah, at least 50 pounds I want to lose. I, I weigh it's 210. The car- Listen, the wall on carbs, even if you don't work out, here's what I would suggest to you. I would suggest that you wake up, 
you know, 45 minutes earlier than you do every day, yeah. or go to bed 45 minutes later, and I, I would, I would just suggest that you walk more. Yeah. You, you know, you live in a city, yeah. just go for a walk for like, you know, just walk around the block, come out the back, and collect your thoughts and think about who you are and what you want to be. And that walk will help you lose a lot of weight, first of all. Second of all, cut your carbs out. And, you know, I know it's really hard in the beginning, but what you want to do is cut your carbs out and maybe for the first couple, like, weeks, uh, do something where you completely cut your carbs for, like, three days and every third day you have, you know, you have, a, like, one cheat meal. Yeah. You know, like, okay, I'll, I'll have a donut. I can't help it. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then go right back, go right back to the diet. But then you really want to start going, like, down to, like, once a week. You know, where, like, once, that, that basically would give you two cheat meals a week. Yeah. And then you want to, like, go down to, like, one cheat meal a week. You know, where basically just, like, on a Saturday night, you know, you go out, you have whatever you want. Yeah. Unless it sounds, yeah, it sounds great, though. But it's like, you know, I, yeah, I guess, you know, you know, if you uh, want to... I can give you a recommendation of a book. Yeah. Uh, that our friend John Kiefer wrote. Uh, John Kiefer wrote a book called Tarp Night. That's available now. That's on the internet. Um, it's a little bit more complex than what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, but you'll get the gist of it. You know, basically, it's basically a no-carb diet for like, I think the first 10 days, he tells you like, hey, just don't eat carbs. You'll be surprised, man. The problem is people don't eat enough fat. Mm -hmm. People are so scared of eating fat. Yeah. So when you, when you do a diet like that, and you make egg, I want you to cover the egg with butter, and I want you to get a ton of bacon in. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, you'll, you'll see, man, your weight will start dropping, especially if that's it. You know? Yeah. You just gotta be careful not to cheat on it. Yeah. It's like anything else, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because you know how it is in the city, you go down to the corner bodega, you know, you can get, like, food right there instantly quick, and then, yep. you know, it's just it's just hard in the city, too. But I'm saying, but you know it because you know you're from the city too. So. Well, look, I grew up in in New York, and when I go to New York to visit, yeah. I think it's one of the easiest places to do the diet that I'm doing. Because mm. I'll walk in, I'll walk into like a little deli, and I'll get like a couple of mozzarella balls, and I'll grab a bunch of olives. Yeah, you know, and then I'll eat that, and it tastes amazing, and it's hot, really high in fat, and it's got no carbs in it. Oh, that sounds good. I mean, they got to think of something like that. Yeah, you know how they have all those olive oil? Yeah. They're olive, like little olive bars. I grab a little bit of that, a little bit of mozzarella, maybe some salami. You know, all of a sudden I just pound it, you know? Yeah. Douse it in olive oil and kill it. And you're not, you're not hungry anymore, and you just basically ate a no-carb, you know? Olives have a little bit of carb stuff that's so few, and then it doesn't matter. They're like insignificant carbs in an olive, you know? What about supplements? Um, um, what's your take on supplements? Like, you know, you hear all these different types of supplements, creatine, think, this and that. Uh, yeah, I think for someone like you that wants to lose weight, yeah. I think they're completely irrelevant. Um, I think the only supplement that you need, um, maybe just like a protein powder to help you keep on track. Uh, protein shakes taste good. A lot of people like ice cream, so like they can have protein shake with some ice and maybe some... Uh, they make like unsweetened almond milk. They make unsweetened coconut milk. Yeah. Unsweetened flax milk. They can like the shape with it. You know, either just water and chocolate protein powder, or water, or, or uh, you know, one of those kind of milks yeah. that are really low in carbs. Not regular milk, just one of those kind of really low. You know, check the carbs on milk. Mm -hmm. uh, dump that in with uh, you know, with some protein, and that's a good snack that will keep you know, taste sweet. That's definitely good to know. I'm gonna keep that down. I'm sorry because we're I'm, I'm I'm losing off topic here, and we're just talking about um, diets and stuff. I'm sorry about that. Hey man, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's pretty much an open format. It's not about everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, let me get back to bigger, stronger, faster, real quick. We'll definitely get back on this topic though. But um, for bigger, stronger, faster, um. There, um, there's a lot of people you talk to. You talk to senators. You talk to bodybuilders. Um, I think some people, I guess, you know, lost their jobs for doing their documentary too. Um, especially with a guy like um, Greg Valentino. He was a, he, he's an amazing dude. And like um, the other guys that you had from, well, what was his name? The guy in the beginning of the movie. Oh my God, Paul. Oh. Yes, 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 yes. He's fascinating. Are, 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 do you still see him? Is he still around? Yeah, yeah, he's still around. He's... Uh, Paul has been, like, in and out of, uh, 
of that man that he was living in the back. You know, like, I should really admire that guy. The reason why I say admire Paul Sullivan is, like, he's living life on his own terms. Yeah. You know? He's uh, getting jacked, and he's, he's lifted and trained. Like, you might not have a whole lot of money, but, like, you know, money doesn't always equal success. And um, if, he, if he can truly be happy, uh, you know, doing what he's doing and, and like, living there and, and lifting and whatever, then it's good for him, you know? Yeah. I know, because I'm saying, but, well, so he's not, he, is he still living in the van, or he's... Uh, like I said, he, he's, been, he's been living in the van on and off, you know, in and out of the van. You know, who knows, really, but, like, um, I've seen him in there a little bit here and there, you know, yeah. but it's hard to tell, you know? to your brother Mike because I know he, he passed away I, I like I, I read about it I didn't really actually knew about it but what happened Exactly. Um, another question: Are are you thinking about doing another bigger, stronger, faster, like a sequel, or there's no talks about that? Or yeah, we've been talking about it. Oh know, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I worked with some really talented uh, producers on the film, and um, they're they're actually uh, they're actually really busy with some other projects right now. Um, but you know, they basically gave me the blessing to like go ahead and do whatever I need to do to get it done. So. I think we're going to maybe start talking about some ideas for that. But, you know, if I do something like, you know, Bigger, Stronger, Faster, like a sequel, it's got to be good. You know, it's got to be awesome. So I can't just, like, you know, half-ass it and come up with some random idea. Like, it's got to be awesome, you know. So, yeah. basically, yeah, that's what I'm doing. Yeah, can I give you a title for it? Could it be Immensely Bigger, Stronger, and Faster? That could be the title. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't really come up with a... Uh, with any sort of like title yet, just trying to uh, try to focus on uh, you know what would a what would a good storyline be for it? you know like basically if I'm gonna do something it's gotta be awesome yeah you know? yeah but dude if you think about everything that's going on in the news now there's a lot of storylines you can do with that there's a whole bunch of oh yeah yeah there's just so there's so much um, so much going on in the world of like health and fitness yeah you know that we don't um, that we really don't uh, we really don't talk about, you know, in yeah. general. There's a lot of, there's a lot of shit that goes on that, you know, no 
Also, um, I read that also, you, are you involved with the um, resurrection of Jake the Snake Roberts? Yeah, um, I've been working on that. That's a, a really cool movie, you know, that um, you know, is kind of close to my heart to what happened with my brother. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, like, we we submitted it to Sundance and to some other uh, festivals and just uh, sort of waiting on, you know, waiting on, waiting to see what happened with that, you know. Yeah. Also, um, can you give me a little bit of insight to that? Like, what you know? I know um, DDP talked about it in a few outlets, but um, what's your take on it? Um, basically, you know, the movie is a documentary on Jake getting your life back together. Um, I think it's, uh, I, mean, I think it's pretty awesome. I mean, I, I really, I'm, you know, I went down to Atlanta to uh, work with Jake and. Steve Yu, the uh, producer, and, um, you know, I just, I just dug it from the first frame that they uh, showed me, and I thought it was awesome, you know, and so, um, you know, I, I don't know, I mean, like, as far as, like, the movie and, and whatever, like, I don't really want to talk too much about it, because uh, I'm not really, you know, it's, it's Dallas's movie, and, you know, I don't really want to, like, give anything away or whatever like that yet, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that should be, hopefully it'll be coming out, like, you know, in the new year, and we'll be able to, like, talk about it a lot more um, once it's closer to uh, coming out. But, um, you know, basically, like, what they did is they, they saw bigger, stronger, faster, and they really liked how I put it together. Mm-hmm. And uh, they sent me a rough cut, and I said, hey, can you can you get involved in this movie? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I think it's dope. You know, I, I really, I've always liked Jake. He's always been, like, you know, a hero of mine and whatever. And so, um, you know, got involved in it and uh, helped them to mold it. You know, I think a lot of times people... Um, they have a good idea for a documentary and they go out and they try to attack it. And what happened with this documentary is like, I think that they weren't aware of how cool it could be. So like there were some things uh, that were missing. There was a, there was a, a lot of things that weren't, um, that weren't explained to your, just your average, uh, your average person. You know, like it was, uh, it was cool if you're a wrestling fan. Like, wow, what a cool movie. Cause I'm a wrestling fan. I get all this. I know all this. But what if you're not a wrestling fan? You know, mm-hmm. and uh, there was some stuff in it where it was uh, really difficult to, uh, you know, for your normal uh, viewer to figure out, you know, yeah. so. Will it be as gritty as, like, you know how um, Beyond the Mat portrayed Jake the Snake Roberts? Will it be, like, that type of grittiness like that? Or is it, you know, I'm sure he's going to be shed in a positive light, but I'm sure you're going to see the uh, the downhills and the uphills of, um, him struggling, yeah, right? You know, um, I'll tell you, you know, in, in doing that, um, in doing that movie, uh, there was a lot of, uh, battles with, uh, you know, they, they called me, um, the, uh, they, they called me, like, really early on to, uh, to say, you want to make this documentary about, um, what do you call it? They said, you know, we want to make this documentary about Chase the Snakes. But we don't know what to do. And I just said, film everything. You know, yeah. that's what I basically told them: film, film everything you can. Um, in you know, in regards to uh, to Jake, and but you know, at the end of the day, um, we'll take a look at it. We'll put it together. Well, they called me, you know, like <laughs> almost a year later, and like, hey, we have a rough cut for you to look at. And I was actually surprised because a lot of times people don't um, people don't take any of my advice. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> You know, like, it's like you, you just don't, like, you give out advice to people and, and they're like, you know, you're like, hey, man, you should do this and you should do that. And then, uh, next thing you know that they're, uh, you know, it's like they just, I don't know, like, a lot of times people just don't take your advice. So I was, like, really impressed that they took my advice and they went ahead and made the movie. And, you know, it's, I think it's pretty awesome. I can't wait for it to, you know, come out and for us to be able to talk about it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I know Scott Hall was in the house too. Is Scott Hall in the video, or this is just strictly just about Jake? Yeah, Scott's in it. Um, he wasn't there as long. He didn't put enough uh, as much. I shouldn't say enough. He should. He didn't put as much work into uh, his own sobriety as Jake did. Um, but he definitely got a lot better. I mean, he was in a really rough spot in his life, and I really feel that Scott has gotten a lot uh, better than than he was. And um. I think that that's important too. So, well, you know, hopefully, like, hopefully, you know, the, the, the hard thing is, like, you know, getting sober is easy. 
staying sober as possible. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully this movie can, like, inspire some people. And, and along the way, um, what I told Jake when I went down there, and I said, listen, man, you know, the hard the hard part's over. Yeah. You know? The, the hard part is, uh, it, it, I mean, so like the, the first part of this was, like, it's not easy, but it's a lot easier to, like, get sober than it is to stay sober. So it's like, when you get in those positions where people are partying or people want to, you know, have a drink or have, you know, do some drugs, like, it's really easy to say yes when you're vulnerable, you know, so don't, don't get yourself in those vulnerable positions, you know? Yeah. Wow, sounds, uh, so it sounds like it's going to be, I can't wait to see it. So as you said, sometime next year, right? Um, I'm hoping, like, in the beginning of the year, yes, some, somewhere around there. Oh, okay, and then I think, you know, DDP said basically the ending of the movie is going to be him at the Hall of Fame, which... Basically, I think that's the ending of the film, I believe. Am I right on that, or...? Yeah, yeah, basically, like, the end, you know, it sort of, like, ends there. You know, I, uh, I had some suggestions about that, some of which were taken and some of which uh, weren't. Yeah. But uh, I think we figured out, and that's not a bad thing either. Like, you know, a lot of times you can, uh, I can give you, like, a million suggestions and, uh, you know, you'll take one or two. But I think that they, they, uh, they took some of the suggestions and, and went, you know, the right way with it. Um, I think that what was awesome is the uh, director, Steve Yu, um, he's able, because he has a camera and he, li- he basically stays a lot at Dallas' house, like, he was there a lot, yeah. um, he has access to, like, everything, so, like, when I would tell him, hey, can you film this with Jake and try this, he'd film something with Jake and he'd try it, like, and the next day he'd send me, like, a version of it. Yeah. And I'd be like, I, I, I was like, I'm used to waiting like weeks for somebody to do a version of something, yeah? Yeah. But uh, he was able to like turn around in no time because he had access to everybody, you know, which is really cool to do a project like that. Ah, okay, okay. Wow, well, I'm you, it's, I, I know, I know this, this, the documentary is going to be awesome. I can't wait to see it. I definitely can't wait to see Bigger, Stronger, Faster 2. Um, do you have anything else in the works that you're working yeah. on? Yeah, basically, uh, I just finished a movie called Prescription Thugs. Yes, yes, yes. Talk about prescription thugs. Yes, yes. Go ahead. Yeah, if you go on my Facebook page, which is basically just facebook.com backslash borbell, B O A R B E L L. Yeah. And um, there's a, uh, look into my videos, there's a, um, there's a trailer for prescription thugs. And basically, that's a movie. There's a lot of wrestlers in it. <laughs> it's a movie about prescription drug addiction, like in Percocet, Octicon, uh, Xanax, Ambien, all that good stuff. And uh, we talk about, basically, you know, we live in a culture that is, uh, you know, we say we have a war on drugs, but we're really just a nation of prescription thugs. As I say in the movie, uh, basically, we are uh, told by doctors, you know, what we need, what we should take, what we should do. And we don't see a problem with it because it's prescribed by a doctor. And this film sort of opens up people's eyes and says, says like, you know, you need to learn what you're taking and learn what you're doing yourself because, you could be killing yourself and not know it. And uh, basically, that's what happened to my brother, Mad Dog. Uh, you know, like, a lot of the drugs that he was taking were, you know, they all, it all starts out with an injury. Mm-hmm. You know, he had injured his neck in a match where Perry Saturn threw him out of the rain right in his head. Oh, my God. And um, ever, ever since he had that injury, he was the same. It was up and down on all sorts of painkillers, uh, trying to smoke pot to get rid of the pain. You know, trying to do whatever he could to get rid of the arthritis in his neck that he uh, suffered during that injury. And, um, you know, that's basically, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say that that turned him into, like, a drug addict. I think he was already sort of there. Mm-hmm. But what that did was sort of uh, exacerbated it, mm-hmm. made it worse. Made it like, well, if I'm always in pain, I might as well always be on something. Get out of pain. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, um, but that's not the answer. You know, that, that's not the answer. To there, there's no justification in that. Like, you basically... Self-medicating rather than going to a doctor and getting like the next surgery that you need or you know, getting fixed the right way or getting you know some sort of uh, acupuncture or whatever you know like there's other ways to heal your body than just pumping drugs into them especially uh, especially because after a while you only want the drugs to be fine you know you don't want the drugs to actually heal you know? yeah um how long so did... the... I'm sorry go ahead. Movie, uh, and it also offers some solutions as to how to fix that problem. Uh, how long did the movie take to, for you to do? How long did it? Uh, this one has been going on for about two years. Oh, wow. I think every good documentary takes about two years to make. I mean, it's, it's really hard to just make a documentary really fast, you know? 
Yeah. Like it just it just doesn't happen that way, you know. Yeah. Oh, and then um um can you can you um divulge which wrestlers are gonna be in your documentary in the prescription? Which wrestlers are gonna be in prescription thugs? Um, there's a couple wrestlers in it, like Luther Rain. Yeah. He's in it. Uh, he had a really crazy uh pres- prescription drug problem, which uh he ended up having a stroke. Oh wow. And uh, after his uh, stroke, he basically was uh he couldn't walk or talk for a month. You know, I mean he almost died. He had a massive back stroke, and he was able to like come back from that. He's like 100 percent normal today. The uh, he's amazing. I mean, the boy, uh, he just did the movie Let's Be Cops. He has like a little role in that. Yeah. And uh, he's back out in L.A. He's acting and everything, and you know his journey. Uh, Basically, is another journey of an athlete that I think could uh, help a lot of people and help a lot of people like get better, you know. And so um, when he tells his story, it's really cool. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with KG Sakota. Uh, mm-hmm. He was a WWE guy for a while, yeah. a big star in uh, in Japan, and uh, he's another guy that's in the film. Chris Masters is in the film, uh, talking about you know his ups and downs with uh, prescription drugs, yeah. and um, yeah, it's just a really uh, interesting movie. I actually uh, got permission to film Triple H for the movie to talk about uh, the whole uh, wellness program. Um, however, our budget has not allowed us to go down to Orlando and shoot that yet. So I'm hoping that, uh, lately I'm hoping the movie gets to the Sundance. We sent in a rough cut to Sundance, but I really feel that uh, we can still fit uh, Triple H in there. But like, if it gets into Sundance, our our producers that are spending the money on it mm-hmm. will probably say, hey, it's worth it. Let's go get that interview. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you know, but Triple H is really cool about it. Like, he, I, I think that that's great that WWE is doing something about it. Like, he wants to really help. So he's like, hey, you know, I, I really believe in this. I want to talk about our wellness program. I'd be happy to talk about it. So they were actually really cool and really inviting. This film in no way bashes the WWE. It's not the WWE's fault that guys in the WWE were taking drugs. It's guys that have been used for that they were taking drugs. It's a lifestyle that uh, sort of allowed that to happen. And, you know, happily, like, I'm, I'm glad that they put them into it. I don't want, you know, who wants to watch and follow a superstar just to have them die? I mean, that's, like, the saddest thing in the world. These guys dying at 35, 36, 37 years old mm-hmm. when, you know, they don't need to. They can be uh, role models to people for, like, a long time to come. In, uh, in other aspects of their life as well. You know, it's not to be wrestling. It's like, there is life after wrestling, you know? Yeah. I know. Speaking about that, um, you know, I've seen it in your documentary. What's your take on the Benoit murder-suicide thing? What's your opinion? Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't really have much, uh, much of a take on it other than uh, it's really sad. Yeah. Uh, it is, you know, that sort of, uh, that was something that really was sad to me. I just, you know, I, I knew Chris. I worked with him. I didn't know him all that well, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, you know, it's just, it's unfortunate. And, you know, my problem with it is, like, I don't know why people weren't blaming prescription drugs. I mean, he was on a ton of prescription drugs, and um, when you look at the amount of drugs he was on, compared to the amount of steroids he was on, like, who cares? Like, steroids don't affect you in that way that's going to make you go and kill somebody. So, you know, I just, I just feel like the media just completely underreported or misreported that story, I should say. And um, if they knew more about it, they would have went into the amount of prescription drugs he was on. They would have went into the alcohol. You know, it's like I've mixed prescription drugs and alcohol myself, and it's like probably probably the the wackiest things I've ever done in my life were <laughs> combinations of Vicodin and, and, and vodka, you know, Whoa. and um, yeah. things I would never normally do. Yeah. So you, when you say, hey, he killed his whole family, like, well, of course he, he was on Vicodin, alcohol, Ambien, you know what I mean? Like, he wasn't in a right mind state. He had 16 concussions. Yeah. They didn't really talk that much about that stuff, you know? Yeah. And that's that's where I think, you know, if the media is going to report on something, something like, yeah, steroids are not an innocent bystander. Steroids are really serious hormones that should be taken seriously. However, don't blame everything on steroids. You know, just like, figure out what what I kept saying when that happened was there was a Bible next to each one of his victims. Mm-hmm. You know, are you going to blame God? Are you going to blame the Bible? Mm-hmm. He's like, well, that would be ridiculous. Like, That's just as ridiculous as going to steroids. Yeah. He literally had 
don't know because you weren't there, you know? So, like, the media reports these things. These outlandish claims, and, you know, we don't know if it's true or not. Yeah. I know that, you know, it, it was fascinating when I seen, too, when you were on the documentary, how steroids, it's all the way in the bottom for a list of people who are going to the hospital. You know, it's not even in the top ten. It's not even Yeah, there. yeah, and like I said, it's not an innocent bystander, like, Steroids, like, aren't completely harmless. If you have side effects, they have, like, powerful hormones. But, you know, at the same time, like, let's not make them out to be some villain. Let's just tell the truth about them. Yeah. You know? There's, like, there's plenty of times, like, that I know. I have a lot of friends at the gym that take steroids, you know? And I see them, like, come in with, like, you know, big lumps in their shoulder. And they're like, I can't even touch my shoulder. Like, well, why? Uh, it's all inflamed. I got a bad injection or something. You know, that's, you know, that might sound crazy to people, but, like, that's just the name of the game. You know, you want to get jacked and huge and walk around like that, then, you know, you got to pay the price once in a while. There's always, there's always a price to pay for everything. Like, nothing in this world is free. Nothing in this world comes without, you know, any sort of side effect or any sort of, uh, you know, problem with it. So, like, it's not like, you know, nothing's perfect. So... Sometimes people take steroids and they get like a bad batch or they, you know, shit happens. So it's like, you, you can't really just say, oh yeah, that's perfect drug and there, there's nothing wrong with it. You, know, you have to like take deal with the bad. Let me ask you a question. Is Chris Bell drug free, steroid free? Who? I said, is Chris Bell steroid free? Am I steroid free? Yes. Uh, you know what? Actually, I am on testosterone. Oh, you're I take testosterone uh, through a doctor. Okay. So, um, after I did bigger, stronger, faster, I had uh, double hip replacement surgery. Yeah. And um, doctor, I went to the doctor, and it's so funny because my girlfriend at the time was totally against steroids. Yeah. And then I went to the doctor, and he said to me, you know, we should put you on testosterone to help you grow your bone back after this massive hip surgery where we saw through your bone. Yeah. And I said to him, well, my girlfriend won't let me go on that. Well, and I talked to her about it. And she's like, well, that's completely different. It's different if you're using that as medicine. Yeah. So it's, like, interesting how people see it, you know, like how people, their, their perceptions. And, um, you know, I, I just thought that that was interesting. I, you know, I've been on, like, 200 milligrams of testosterone on and off for, like, the past, like, three or four years. And, you know, it just basically helps. Uh, and, like, I have, like, pretty bad arthritis, which is a genetic thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, like, honestly, I'm weaker than I've ever been. You know I mean, like, I'm not walking around like Superman. I got, like, a lot of injuries, and I'm beat up pretty bad. So, yeah. you know, are steroids a miracle drug? No, they're definitely not. Even if I was taking more of them, it's not going to take away the pain from my arthritis that I have. It's not going to take away my shoulder pain when I bench press. It's yeah. not going to take away my hip pain from my surgery. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, you know, there's, there's good and bad. I mean, steroids help. Steroids work, but they're not a miracle drug. Yeah. yeah. Do you, do you work out more on your legs too for your arthritis, or you just just straight up you just uh, your upper body? Or? Um, no, I do both. I mean, I bench, squat, deadlift all the time. I basically follow like more of a powerlifting uh, routine. But I just you know when things start hurting, I can lay off the laptop. Yeah. Uh, um. All right, Chris. Is there anything else you want to plug out there for the fans to hear? Um. You know, just everybody who's listening. Uh, thanks for listening. First of all. And uh, secondly, you know, follow me on Twitter uh, or Instagram. It's at Big Strong Fast. Um, bigger, stronger, faster than it So it's at Big Strong Fast. And you can follow my brother, Mark, at Mark Smelly Bell on Instagram. He's always got a lot of interesting stuff to say and a lot of free information. I mean, both Mark and I uh, pride ourselves constantly giving out free information. A lot of the stuff that we learn in powerlifting and filmmaking, whatever, we like to learn it for free. So, yeah. I just like to give back to people, you know, uh, answer questions. So if anybody has questions, they can write to us. We answer whatever we can, man. Can't do everything, but you know, we try. True. And what um and um, what's your brother's podcast? So you can uh, his podcast is called Mark Bell's Powercast. Okay. It's actually the number two uh, health and fitness podcast in America, right next to Jillian Michaels. Oh wow, <laughs> that's that's some heavy competition so, right there. Yeah, Snowy's, uh, Snowy's killing it, but, you know, Jillian's got a national TV show, so, you know, like, a little bit of an advantage. Yeah, but I think it's pretty cool that he's up there, you know? Wow. Is she still on, I don't know if she's still on the show. Is she still on the, what is it, uh, um, the, the biggest I know, loser? She, I mean, she, she made millions off yeah. of her training, 
know? Yeah. So I don't, I don't think she's on the show anymore. No, I'm the biggest loser. I mean, she got famous from that. And, um, God bless her, man. She's a motivator, you know, and we need more of those people. We need people that, that motivate people that, you know, love her or hate her. She's a motivator at times. Yeah. Yeah, and so are you, Chris. Like some, some, uh, some people hate on successful people, and I don't, I like to, I like to support them, and I like to uh, push them further to help more people, you know. Yeah, especially, you you know, you want to sponge off them, because you want to see what, you know, what click for them, for them to be successful, you know. We want fitness to be uh, something that's out there for everyone, you know. Yeah. Oh, man, I appreciate the interview, Chris, man, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I appreciate man. it.